morning. Jared and Heidi, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for the privilege of celebrating. In fact, let's celebrate with them their new son down there, two weeks. Absolutely adorable. It's great to have you with us. And when Pastor Seth and Pastor Ken are both going to be gone this weekend, we searched high and low and decided to go out of state to bring in one of the best presenters of God's word that we could. So all the way from North Dakota, uh, you'll be hearing from a guy named Dale Hellevang. Dale has been the teaching lead for Bible Study Fellowship for over 25 years, which is fantastic. And uh, he is a tremendous ambassador for our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as importantly, if not more, he is the husband of Marcia. So let's welcome Pastor, Pastor Mr. Dale Hellevang as he shares with us this morning. Good morning. I wasn't quite sure where Kent was going to go when he said we searched high and low and thought he was going to say we settled on low. Um, but uh, grateful to, to be with you again. And of course, we have the privilege of coming and worshiping with you every, every week. And uh, today we have the opportunity to open up uh, our study of Ephesians or continue our study of Ephesians. And so <clears throat> I'm going to be referencing from the NIV version. But so if you have your Bibles or Bible apps or pew Bibles, whatever to follow along, that would be great. We'll be continuing our study primarily in chapter five. But uh, as we began, as I was preparing this, uh, one of the hardest parts of preparing a message about marriage is knowing your wife's going to hear it. <laughs> and uh, she was actually physically sitting in the first service, and I kept looking over to see if she was going to go. You know, because it's a challenge. We're, we're broken, aren't we? And uh, we're certainly not, not perfect by any means, and I know I'm not. But we can still learn a lot from, from God's Scripture. And I'm waiting for the multiple times this coming week when she'll go, uh, Dale, you said on Sunday that you would take out the garbage. Uh, no. So uh, we put this into action. But I want to begin this morning by sharing that on June 6, 1981, a recorded miracle occurred. June 6, 1981. It was on that date in a rural church in South Dakota that Marsha said, I do, when asked if she would be willing to marry me. And I heard her. And uh, I was delighted to do that. Now, it's interesting. I said recorded. Good thing there were witnesses because uh, they made an audio recording of the ceremony. And when we were listening to it later, uh, it came to my part. You could clearly hear me say, I do. Uh, when it came to her part, you heard nothing. And so she has reminded me over the last 40 years, you know, I've never committed. <laughs> but, uh, but fortunately, she did. Uh, I'm grateful for Marsha as my wife. And so we're going to spend some time uh, studying about a marriage relationship in the context of a broader family relationship, in the broader context of what 
Paul has been writing about with Ephesus, uh, the church in Ephesus. And so I just want to put this in context again. First off, in general sense, you may recall that what we've been learning is that for the people in Ephesus, this was a whole new experience for them, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how that impacted their lives because they came from a non-religious background. And what we've been learning in the previous chapters, of course, is first off, that relationship changed, their life changed the moment that Jesus became real in their lives. And uh, this made them different, but they were so blessed to be different compared to all their neighbors, their friends, and the other people, and the way that they had lived their lives prior to that moment. But not only was there a blessing that came directly from that change in relationship, we've also been learning that with that is a calling and a responsibility to live all life differently. And not differently just to be different, but to be better. And so over the past uh, chapters, we've seen how this impacts really every relationship that they have, everything that's going on in their lives, the things that were maybe acceptable before weren't acceptable, and vice versa. And so for them, it was important to learn that. And that includes this concept of a marriage between a husband and a wife, and ultimately the children briefly will be discussed as well, because they had a different context of that. They did not have all of the examples in, that we have today, the benefit that we can say, what should a marriage look like? I mean, we have reality TV. And uh, I was going to name some, but then I would have to admit that I knew what they were. Uh, didn't want to do that. But we have, reality, we have social media. We have all kinds of movies and all these things. And so for us, we are bombarded likewise with many different examples of what a marriage, or more specifically, what a relationship between a husband and a wife should look like. And we're going to find, as we open up chapter 5 of Ephesians, that it is just as important for us to take a look in the context of what is being taught for the new Christian follower of Jesus Christ. Back then, it's the same for us today. And we also find that this is important for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is that the marriage relationship is, and that family relationship is really core uh, to society. It was and it still is. And, and particularly for back then, I mean, the, the life would revolve around that. So what does marriage look like in the context of Christian followers different than the world? Really important. But also it's important as we open up Scripture and we see regularly and consistently through Scripture that the relationship between a husband and a wife, that marriage, is used as a model or an illustration of Jesus having a relationship with the church. He is frequently referred to or demonstrated as the bridegroom or the groom and the church, the believers, the fellowship of believers as his bride and all of the things that he's going to do. And so... As we do this, it's in the context of both of those are being so important. Uh, and so let's take a look at what Scripture has to say. And we're going to begin, however, with verse 21 
which before we get into the wives, but 21, and it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what we find here is all of the relationships that we have are changing, not just husbands and wives, but rather every relationship that we have, particularly so with other Christians. And again, we've had lots of examples of this leading up to this. Why? Because we now have a shared relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is out of reverence for him, or out of reverence for him, out of loyalty and love for him, that that then motivates us to live differently and treat differently other people, specifically other Christians. And so that's the basis. And this has been so important, and it is so important for us, because the typical response of people is pride, selfishness, it's all about me. And what's in it for me? And as we take a look at society and the culture around us today, that's really what drives most of it, isn't it? It's what can I get for myself? And that carries over into relationships with others. Others are there really to serve a purpose, which is what can I get from them? And what Jesus has taught us and what Paul is referencing here in this part for every Christian, it changes because now my focus, because I love Jesus, is on the other person as much or even more so than it is on me. Which leads to this idea of submitting. It says submitting to one another. And we might think about submitting as simply being willing, voluntarily, willing to give up some of my independence some of my pride, some of my desires in order for the betterment of another person or that relationship that I'm in. So I'm, I'm happy to give up some of these things in order for the other person to be bettered. And it is in that context that we then find that it's our love and worship of Jesus is what motivates our relationships with others. Not whether they're able to be worshipped, or excuse me, or they're certainly not a case that they're deserving of that, or maybe they have, they have the right to it, but rather it's something I willingly do in submitting to other people, all other people, Christians, because of my love for Jesus. And so with that as a backdrop, if we go back to June 6, 1981, and I had to double check that date a number of times, I wasn't going to hear the end of it. I got up and said the wrong date. Uh, but nevertheless, June 6, 1981, when I stood in front of the altar at that rural church and committed my life and my devotion and my love and my honor to Marsha, in reality, it wasn't Marsha that was the most important person in that room. It was Jesus. Because it was my reverence and love for Jesus that was to drive my love and my honor and my relationship with Marcia. And so with that context as a back, the, the reverence and the love that we have for Jesus, we now are taken to some specific ways for that to be lived out, particularly within the context of a marriage relationship. And so in verse 22, we find 
Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And as husbands are sitting, that sounds good to me. And they're called to submit. And unfortunately, uh, this verse sometimes has been used out of context and has brought pain and suffering. But let's, let's dig into what is really being said here. First off, it says, you know, for the wives, so this is specifically responsibility, and in specifically Christian wives, uh, wives, submit yourselves, which implies that it's a voluntary thing. It's a gracious thing that they're choosing to do, not something that's being forced upon them or something that's being demanded or driven of them. Rather, it's saying, submit yourselves. You get this sense of giving up yourself, giving up part of, uh, of that. To whom? To your own husbands. It doesn't say to all husbands. Or every husband. And so we also have this picture that when Paul is writing about the marriage relationship, inspired again with God's word, what we're focused on is the relationship between two people, not all of them. And we can learn from other relationships. We can learn from other marriages but specifically what we focus on is for the wife in that submissive part of her role is to be focused on just her husband and what's going to be best for their relationship with each other. And that's true for the husbands as well, as we will see in just a little bit. So it's, it's voluntary. It's focused on their husband and, as it says, as you do to the Lord. So the context, even again, reminding us that in the submission to the husband in that relationship, the driving factor is, in reality, the wife's responsibility and reverence and relationship with Jesus. See, it's in this context that we are reminded why they say it's so important in a marriage relationship for you not to be unequally yoked, that it's the husband and the wife both are to believers in Jesus Christ because that becomes the primary thing. The primary thing for individually, but also the primary thing for them in their marriage partnership together. And so it does go on to say, however, that the husband is the head of the wife in the same context, again, as that Christ is the head of the church. And so this in no way is meant to be that one is of more worth or more value or of more importance than the other. That's not what being said. Uh, they're both equally, I mean, they're partners, and there's lots and lots of scripture to talk about how people, uh, that husbands and wives are equal in so many ways. But what it does mean is that there are times and places where it's important in order for the marriage to succeed and to be healthy that someone needs to take the lead. Someone needs to take the lead responsibility. Now, ultimately, what that means is it puts more onus and responsibility on the husband. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit. But rather, it is for someone to take that responsibility. And that might mean all kinds of different things. Uh, and it might mean not some things, which we'll touch on shortly also. But it might mean that in certain decisions, it's important that... Uh, Someone has to make the final decision, particularly of an, of an important decision in life, and that responsibility is given to the husband. Someone perhaps needs to set the stage, particularly spiritually, for the family. It says, we're going to go to church. We're going to seek the Lord. We're going to do these things. That responsibility to lead is given to the husband, 
and then to submit or to follow along and to partner with that is given to the wife. You know, sometimes it's really huge decisions, like where are we going to eat after church? And if you're like me, you know, we're, no sooner you get out the door, I said, McDonald's? Well, I don't know. Where do you want? Well, Burger King? Well, I don't know. What do you want? You know, 3.30, everybody's gone home. We're still sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> Someone's got to make a decision. So Buffalo Wild Wings it is. No. Uh, but there are small things, but there are sometimes bigger things that that responsibility is shared and we need to do that. But especially in the area of spiritual leadership, husbands are called to be the leaders and the wives to submit. And guys, this is often an area where we fall short. Too often, in many marriages, in many families, this is an area that the husband just simply defers over to the wife or to the mother. And that she needs to be one who drives that part of it and drives the importance of that. And, you know, as we shared, one of the things that I have is uh, the privilege of being able to be involved in a group called Bible Study Fellowship. It's a wonderful way to study the Bible. And there's men's groups and women's groups, and, and we get together and we study the Bible and share life, and it's, it's just tremendous. It's a way of helping people be able to grow and, and develop in the church. You know, we're here to support the church. But uh, every so often, they might have a retreat of something, and we get together, the men's leaders together, and the women's leaders together, and it was interesting how many times I heard from a woman that would come up to me and say, oh, how I wish my husband would take more responsibility for spiritual things. That would lead in prayer or Bible study or just raising up Jesus in the home. So this is an area for us in particularly to grow. And as we do that, it's an opportunity for the wives to submit. You know, submission to the Lord's leading is what gives perspective for the wife and how to submit within a marriage relationship. Now, uh, I appreciated John Piper giving some perspectives around this whole area of submission. And uh, most of these are things that don't do or what it doesn't mean uh, and to take some of that context. One of the things that it says is it does not mean leaving your brain at the altar. That in a submissive relationship, there are still many, many, many areas where mutual decision-making and mutual agreement is critically important. And the wife in particular, many, in some of those areas, in many of those areas, probably most of those areas, is more competent than the husband to do that. And that might be in the area of finances. It could be fix-it projects. It could be all kinds of things. You know, in our house, if something breaks and I go for the toolbox, my wife starts to tremble. When she goes, you know, boom, boom, stuff gets fixed. And that's a little hard on the pride. But nevertheless, uh, she happens to be better at some things. And that's true in every marriage that... The husband's better at some things, but the wife is better than some things. So it doesn't mean uh, not doing that part. Uh, one of the other things, you know, we were updating our kitchen here a few years ago, and we picked out some new tile to put down on the kitchen floor, and uh, Marsha was gone, and the guy was there laying the tile down, and I walked in and, and I said, well, what do you think of the color? 
He looks up at me, doesn't matter what I think. He looks at me again, doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> what matters is what she thinks. And in that case, it was true. She's got a better judge of color and, you know, who knows what it would have looked like if it had been left alone for me. Uh, being submissive does not mean agreeing on everything. Doesn't, also doesn't mean that you avoid trying to change your husband, particularly as it relates to areas where he's fallen into sin and out of love and devotion and care, trying to confront him and to deal with that. That doesn't mean turn him into a special project so you change everything, but particularly in some of those really important areas. What it does not mean is putting the will of your husband before the will of Jesus Christ. If there's a conflict, Jesus wins, whatever that is. Because it's out of reverence and love first for Jesus that everything else flows. It doesn't mean for the wife that she's expected to get all of her spiritual strength from her husband. That's from Jesus. God's word and other places. Now, they can get great support with that. But that's not the primary place. does not mean acting in fear. But what it does mean, according to Piper, is honoring and affirming the husband's leadership and then helping carry it through according to the gifts that God has given her. Honoring and affirming husband's leadership and then the carrying it out, fulfilling it according to the gifts that she's been given when God brought them together in this wonderful, loving partnership. Well, that was the section for the wives. We now go on to the husbands. And uh, in that case, we're done. <laughs> Not really. Uh, it's interesting that there's three verses that talk about the wife's responsibility. There's eight that talk about the husbands. Maybe it's because we're slow learners. Maybe we have more things to learn. But nevertheless, let's try to unpack some of those as well. It says in verse 25, husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the first commandment was to love your wives. And many on the surface would say, yeah, I do that. I can do that. I love her. I mean, she's wonderful. She's funny. She's sexy. She's all these different things. And, and I love her. And I, that's who I want beside me. And the standard, however, is higher where it says, the standard is how Christ loves and loved the church and gave himself up for her. At our wedding, uh, the pastor said something that stuck with me, still has after all these years. He said, too often when men or husbands in particular say, I love you, what they really mean is, I love me and want you. I only want what's going to make me happy or cheerful as opposed to truly saying and the standard that what is being given for us as Christian husbands is the sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated for the church. He willingly gave up all the glory and everything else in heaven to come and be on earth because of his love for the church. He willingly gave up 
time and sleep and put up with persecution and trials and dangers and all of the other things that he could teach and demonstrate his love for the church. He was even willing to go to the cross on Calvary because of his love for the church. He demonstrated compassion and care and concern for the people because of his love for the church. So we are called to love our wives according to that standard. Not even just the romanticized part of it that we often pick up from movies and TV shows and other types of places. But rather, a husband's love is to be sacrificial, specifically for the purpose of helping build up and helping the wife grow up to be the woman that Jesus has called her to be. The husband's first responsibility is sacrificially doing everything he can to help his wife grow up spiritually to be the woman that God has called her to be. Supporting her in being able to be involved in ways that develop that and help her grow. And so it's not a case that we do these things only if we feel like it. It doesn't mean that we do these things only if we think she's deserving of it. We do these things because that's what Jesus told us to do. And that's the commitment and that's the vow that I made and husbands make when they get married to their wives. You know, using Jesus as an example, husbands are called to love their wives sacrificially. You know, really... My relationship with Jesus is number one. The most important relationships I have and ever will have, secondly, is my wife. If I choose and God leads us to get married. And so what might that look like uh, in a loving relationship, in a sacrificial love? And, and I don't have John Piper's tips for this, but some of the things that we might be involved, it means literally being involved and invested in her spiritual growth. Asking her how she's growing. What has she learned about God? Making sure that she has time. Taking care of the kids so she can go to Bible study. Uh, or be involved in different aspects of church. And making sure that she has uh, the opportunity to come to church. That you're doing that as a family. All these things that you can be involved in her spiritual growth. Find ways to demonstrate your love. To show it to her. We need to say it. But what are the ways that really demonstrate to her that you love her? even if it requires sacrifice on your part. And that means different things for different wives. Uh, but rather, it often sometimes means giving up of our time. You know, too often maybe what we do is we fill up all of our time with work, our hobbies and recreation and sports and golf and fishing, whatever, all of which are good. But if they all take us away from my wife, and such that all she gets, if anything, is just a little bit of leftovers, then that's not living sacrificially. How do I carve out some priority time to be with her? It says to love, our, to love her as we love our own bodies, which means that it's just as important that she be happy, successful, satisfied, growing, all of these things as it is for me. It's not a me first anymore. It's an us first or it's a you first. 
It also goes on to say, interestingly enough, verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and the two will become one flesh, not just physically, but emotionally and, and everything, they make the connection. So what is that saying? Is that when you get married as a husband and a father, but specifically, specifically the husband, your parents now are less important than your wife. Now you still need to honor them, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But that relationship with the wife now trumps everything else. That might show up emotionally. You know, where do I turn? Where do I spend my time? Um, you know, more recent, it might even mean something as practical as where you spend the holiday. Am I doing it in a way that honors my wife and my family first? And in many cases will also bring blessing to my parents as well. But as we're called to be first with our wives, even before our parents. So as we think about that, husbands, we know we have areas in which to grow in. Uh, we have areas to, to grow in wives uh, as well. But we see this beautiful picture, and just take for a minute, imagine what those are like lived out to their fullness, and what kind of a relationship with that. If you had a husband that was doing all of these things, if he was honoring his wife and caring for her sacrificially and, and demonstrating his love for her, would that not be an easy husband to submit to? And if a husband had a wife that was supportive and encouraging and in a partnership lovingly, would that not be a wife that he would love to sacrificially demonstrate his love. It all comes together. And so we find in conclusion of this, verse 33, it says, each of you then, first off, must love your wife, husbands must love your wife, and as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And it's interesting, the word respect comes up here instead of submission. Maybe it's the idea that submission is, is just assumed at this point. Men in particular need respect, appreciation to say, I, I really, really respect you for what you do. Maybe it's, I really respect you and appreciate you for the way that you help take care of the kids. It may be, I really respect you for some small thing and, and just applauding and encouraging us when we take little small steps toward improvement. That's important for guys. And love is so important for the wife. And so in that context of this beautiful, beautiful relationship between a husband and a wife that we come in chapter 6, verse 1 to now focus for a little bit on the children that would be part of that family. I was smiling when Jared said, I'm tired after two weeks. You've got no idea, my friend. It doesn't even stop when they're 18. But it's a joy to be able to have children, and it's a blessing. And then again, in that family relationship, what we're being told as Paul is writing this letter to this new church in Ephesus is to say the family dynamics between a parent and a child change also. Why? Because Jesus is now in the picture and Jesus in the center. So he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. 
So just as the wives are to submit, as in the Lord, the husbands are to love sacrificially, as does the Lord, children are to obey in the Lord. Because in God's grace, he's placed this family structure, and it's a place where there would be some rules and structure that would bring harmony and hope and growth and nurturing and all of the things that need to happen. And that only happens if there's obedience or adherence to the good things uh, in the family, in, in the good relationships, in the good rules. Now, we acknowledge here again that as parents, kids, man, we mess up. And if we go back and could turn the clock back, we would certainly do different things. And I know that would be the case for me. But there's always hope for tomorrow as we continue to grow in this area. You know, so what are some of the things that we can do uh, as children? It's obey them. Obey the rules joyfully. Assume that they're there for a purpose. They're there for a loving purpose. Speak well of your parents with your friends and others as opposed to just knocking how dumb dad is or how stupid mom is or how unfair it is, but to speak well of them. Tell them that you love them. It warms the heart of a father and a mother to hear that or demonstrate that and write it. You know, in my desk drawer at home, I have a number of handwritten cards from one of my sons where he shared specifically the reasons that he loves me and the things that he respects about me. Man, you think that's heart-changing? There's a reason they're stuffed right there so I can read them from time to time. Those are all things that we can do as children to show our parents that we love them. And, you know, there's also the reality that those rules are there for a purpose. And I love the second part of this section where it says, honor your father and mother, and those are ways so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. You know, I love that. And I wish I had thought about that more when I was raising my kids. Curfews, 10.30. How come you need to be home? So that you might enjoy a long life. <laughs> How come I have to clean my room? So that it may go well with you. Man, this kind of condenses parenting down to a couple of sentences. You know, love it. But this honor, this idea that's tied back that, again, the human relationships, particularly as it relates to the family, become so different as Christians. And it's important for us to remember that, regardless of what we see society and the culture doing around us. And so we're to love and honor our parents. And some of us, or some of you, I'm no longer in that boat, but some of you in that boat where you have children that you're trying to raise up in the Lord and you also have parents that are still living that you need to show all these things in love and honor for that. And as I heard one person says, treat your parents, for those of you in that middle box, treat your parents well because your kids are watching. And the way that you treat them is how they're going to treat you when you get older and perhaps need more care and comfort. You know, it's our love for our Heavenly Father that motivates us in our relationships with our parents. But it's interesting, and just as it says with a marriage, that there's this balance between a husband and a wife, and that, you know, both come together in harmony. It lays out these responsibilities for the children, and you say, yeah, obey, yeah, do that. 
But fathers, verse 4, don't exasperate your children. And so we have a responsibility to do that, not to make life hard or exasperating for our children. And what might be some of the ways that we do that? Maybe it's because we set hard rules without demonstrating love, and that just feels harsh. Or conversely, we don't set any rules or boundaries, and ultimately that feels unloving or uncaring. You know, we exasperate them for trying to live out our dreams about sports success or other types of things through our kids and we put undue pressure on them. We exasperate our kids if we don't treat them as individuals and recognize the individual gifting that they have and their own personalities. We just treat them all the same. We have a responsibility, particularly fathers, and it's interesting, it, it drives fathers maybe because for the mothers it comes more naturally. And we need the reminders as guys. But also, we exasperate our children if we don't bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. I'd referenced that earlier. You know, too often, we, again, turn over this area to our wives or their mothers. And we don't take the responsibility that we should and need to as a father. And it's saying, you know, youth pastors are great. Sunday school teachers are wonderful. But the responsibility of training your children up in the home, it goes to the father. And then the mother, too, in partnership. But the, the father is in this lead role. Spend time talking with them about what it means to walk with Jesus Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday morning. Demonstrate the importance of studying the Bible. As I shared, as I shared earlier, one of the privileges I have is leading this, this Bible study fellowship. And it's a bunch of men. We have a school program, kids, kindergarten through high school. And it's just a joy to see them coming with their dads, or in some cases, granddads. But they're coming to study the Bible being brought, perhaps in some cases, for the first time to be reinforced how important it is to learn about God. It's taking time to pray with them and to be an authentic role model of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, this church in Ephesus was having its world turned upside down. Compared to where they were, Jesus had now come into their lives. They had this new saving relationship with him. But they were trying to unshackle themselves from the expectations and the things of the culture and the society around them that were really shallow and empty, but they were pervasive and they needed the standard. And so in this graciousness, we have this letter to the Ephesians calling them to live differently than the rest of the world. First, out of love and reverence for Jesus, but also secondly, because it would make their lives better. They would have a better marriage. They would have a better family. They would have a better all of these things if they followed Jesus. And so as we come here and take a look at this passage this morning, it's encouragement for us to think about, man, if we could be husbands that are reflected here, that love and honor and sacrificially our wives, and as wives, likewise, in that marriage, that would be partners but submissive in a joyful way, both again in reverence to the Lord, and the children would be obedient in the Lord, and the fathers would be invested in the children Wow, wouldn't that be great? And not only 
would that family enjoy the blessings that come from that? There now would be a new model for others to look at, particularly the younger people coming up and wondering what does marriage and family look like for Christians. And they would have examples to follow. Let that example come from us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for what we learn from Scripture and the blessings that come when we live a new life with you. And so I pray for each of us this morning that you would help us to find those areas where we need to change, but also to be encouraged and to do it joyfully, not because we have to, but because we love you. And for this we pray in your name, O Lord. Amen.